0: In der and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars that, by the way, is Dutch for uh, to fall with your nose in butter, which is it's really an expression after my own heart. Uh, but it means roughly to be at the right place at the right time in honor of something that we will get to later in the show. Uh, joining me, Rob Zachney, how are you, Rob? Uh, feeling incredibly guilty uh, for the fact that
1: I apparently cursed uh, the Belgian Grand Prix. Like, <laughs> we were all excited about, like, it being rainy, and, you know, boy, I hope it hope it gets good and rainy at Spa. Spa's always great in the rain. And then uh, somebody did point out that I had also said that we were in the middle of a long dry spell for good uh, Belgian oh, GP oh races. Boy. So, yeah. I, like, I, I don't take full responsibility. I think some other people made their own choices, but I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> part of it.
0: Uh well Danny may have sent the rain the Irish rain uh our way cuz he's actually still over there. I know I said he'd be back uh, this weekend but um he will be back uh next week. Um so we'll have that to look forward to. If you're new to this podcast, a very warm welcome. Uh if you're new to Formula 1 itself, Boy, you picked an interesting time to start it up. Uh, but we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason primer episode assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to understand exactly what happened this weekend, you can go back and look at uh, episode 137 and then hop right up to, to this one. Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons. Uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to Patreon.com/ShiftF1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, special thanks to our title sponsors, who go by the names Gnarly Goat, Tractor Share, Josh Haynes, David Mole, Simon Villeneuve, Mo, Drew Stewart. BPM or Belgium's Problematic Meteorology. Very nice. Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jason, powered by AWS, Chadwick, Abraham Getchel, Joel Roberts, Connor McManus, Sam G. Reagan, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, Will Rumpf, and Jason Kelly. Uh, even though, Rob, we had an unusual race this weekend we still have plenty to talk about so what do you say we hop right into it shall we
1: yeah let's go for it
0: um it start things started off perhaps uh not so unusually we had uh some normal practice sessions Räikkönen uh hitting the wall on his way to the pits which was kind of funny uh, we had some cool live helmet camera footage from uh, alonzo's car did you see any of that No, like it was driver's eye view live uh, on TV. That was that was cool. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to see that. Um, Had a couple of crashes. Leclerc crash in turn six Verstappen crashed crash in turn seven. These were in dry conditions, I might add. Uh, Things got a little crazier in qualifying when the rain started to come down. Um, Qualifying one in elimination saw Giovinazzi, Tsunoda, Schumacher, Raikkonen and Mazepin go out. Uh, then we got to Q two where Leclerc Latifi signs Alonzo and Stroll went out, but these that it it that doesn't tell the whole story there because it was all like we said before in the Ardennes there are often inclement conditions. It is very hard in that microclimate to determine what the weather is going <clears throat> to do, no matter how much radar you look at, um, and so drivers were. Teams were putting their drivers on wet tires or intermediate tires. George Russell and Nicholas Latifi went out on intermediates when everybody else was on wets, and they just blitzed everybody. And then everyone else switched to intermediate tires. Uh, but then for Q3, the rain got much, much worse, so we had to go back to wet tires. Um, so that was that was interesting. Mercedes was actually on the back foot for Q2 until they finally put in some some, uh, some good laps at the end there and just barely uh with well barely in terms of time not in terms of uh you know car ability got through to Q3 um but Q3 is when things really started to go off the rails uh like i said Q3 the rain picked up significantly norris and vettel uh were out on track on wet tires and vettel said over the radio that they should red flag the session because of the track conditions um and norris radioed that he was aquaplaning uh, which is british for hydro planning uh but he stayed out for a timed lap and then the helicopter the camera switches to a helicopter shot of norris and uh just as he's going up through A rouge to the top of a um he's obscured by some trees and i don't know if you if you watched this uh in real time there rob but Martin Brundle asks, as soon as Norris's car disappears, did that car go around? Like, meaning, did the car spin off? To my eye, it looked like he was just climbing up the hill. But, you know, Brundle is an alien or something and um, could somehow tell that something was wrong because uh, we cut to then a stationary camera at the top of the hill. And sure enough, Norris has just clipped the left side barrier at the runoff uh, of O Rouge and is spinning down the track with all of his tires sheared off which was a rough image. Rob, what was your reaction to this?
1: Yeah, I mean it was uh it was pretty it was At first, it was shocking that Brundle got that call. Uh, like, honestly, it it's was uncanny because I had to go back going back and watching it. I still couldn't see him begin to lose it. Brundle saw him start to lose it because uh, he knows real well the like, I guess, the lines and angles you really need to be on. If you're going to negotiate that in the rain, what I heard, what, what I noticed the second time watching it was that you could hear the engine note change as he lost traction. Um, so you, you hear the car sort of over rev as the wheels just decouple, uh, from, from the ground and yeah, uh, the collision looked very heavy. Um, I was like, it, it it was, you know, Brundle said this a moment later, but, but I sort of had, had a similar reaction of like, when you see a car pinwheeling down the track and like blown up in a million pieces. Basically that's the car doing what it's supposed to do and expending a lot of the energy uh that the car has in uh in those spins, in throwing off those pieces and none of it is being transferred to the driver. Uh so in terms of that like that I didn't find so alarming. I think what it did underline though was there's something up with Eau Rouge and radio. Um mm-hmm. and I feel like you know i've watched f one most of my life, and I feel for a long time it was a this was a cool complex like really exciting really really awesome to drive it never really seemed dangerous um and in the last few years uh most notably of course with uh antoine hubert the- the corner seems to be generating more of these dramatic accidents and the thing is, the Norris collision wasn't alarming because, effectively, there were so few cars out on track that he had space to basically... You can see how the construction of the complex channels the car from one crash, uh, like one crash barrier, to the next. So the car em- clips the inside of a rouge and uh, begins skittering across the runoff in- into the barriers at Radion. but. The thing is, and uh you know i apologies if you're gonna talk about this in the in the news section, but in race conditions, that sort of design for single car incident minimizing risk to driver appears to be generating really dangerous dynamics uh, for race conditions with other cars following close behind. Because the top of the corner at Radion is blind. People coming up the hill can't see what's happening uh, on the other side. But also, if these cars have enough energy in them, you can have them bounce uh, across the racing line and almost back onto it Still on the runoff, but in the runoff that people will be using to avoid spinning bits of race car and so the the norris thing was was spectacular i wasn't I wasn't too worried about him except in that um you know the sense that you you know like anyone see to see anyone having a heavy crash but it was like the moment that I started to feel like they're gonna have to rethink this entire corner design um because it like I hope they can preserve it. But I don't see how like I don't see how you can guarantee that incidents in there are not going to be big uh under race conditions. Uh because just imagine like Vettel came along a few seconds later to check on him. But imagine if Vettel only been, you know, three seconds behind or something like that, trying to get a bit of a toe. Um, I think it could get much hairier out there. So it was um yeah, it it was a reminder um after a weekend we saw another spectacular incident in the W series where you had a multi-car pile up at the top of Ranion, um, that this corner has become a, a problem for spa.
0: Yeah. I have a, a timeline here. Um, <clears throat> as you mentioned, uh, August 31st of 2019, Antoine Hubert was killed there, uh, in a formula two crash and uh, which also left current formula three driver, Juan Manuel Correa with serious injuries to his legs. Uh, July 31st of this year, Williams Development driver Jack Aitken was involved in a multi-car crash there at the Spa 24 Hours race, sustaining fractures to his collarbone and a vertebrae. This Friday, August 27th, six W Series drivers were involved in that crash. Two were taken to the hospital, but thankfully escaped serious injury. Then we had Norris, who was also taken to the hospital for a precautionary x-ray. And then I think the same day as Norris, the Formula 3 race... Uh, race two, two cars lost it at the top of the hill and were thankfully missed by most of the cars. Um, but one was collected uh, by another car that thankfully had slowed significantly. So they're coming fast now here. Um, and that's, as you mentioned, Rob, there, there's kind of two problems here. There's the there's the left side barrier at Eau Rouge that can bounce you back onto the track. And then you've got the one to the right at Radion. Yeah. Uh, which can also bounce you into the track, which was the case of Antoine Hubert. And the other ones were were uh, yeah. the left side barrier. Well, and crucially, so-
1: Hubert never made it back onto the racing, racing line. Uh Chamber's video is real specific on this point and it's very good. Uh, he made mm-hmm. it almost back into the racing line, but the thing is, he made it to the edge of the runoff area. But in the case of an incident like that, of course, there is no more, the difference between the track and the runoff area is pretty academic as everyone is trying to yeah. scramble through. And that's how he got hit. And remember, at least when, when this came under discussion in the wake of that horrible accident, the runoff, the, the, the line was the runoff area at radio can't really be expanded because you are effectively dealing with like, that is where the hillside falls away. There is no more ground to use to expand the runoff area. Um, so that, like, this is why they're kind of up against it. Like, this is an iconic part of the track. It is it is one of the greatest com- like corner complexes in F1. The things that make it that uh, also make it very tough to modify. Um, but also, I can't shake. Maybe this is just recency bias. Uh, people can write it and let us know. But, like, I feel like... Going back to the 60s, you know, when Jackie Stewart wrote about uh Ogres and Radial, he didn't feel they were particularly notable corners either. And this was in much scarier cars. He said, like, the first time you do it, it's kind of nerve-wracking, and then you realize there's kind of nothing to it, and it's not not really that dangerous a, uh, a, a section uh, compared to a lot of other places on the circuit. Uh, so it it feels to me like something in the last three years has made a dramatic but fundamentally, like, uneventful corner complex um a stage for really ugly uh, pile-ups and spins and i can't i can't quite figure out what it is the only thing that i can think of is that possibly making bringing the barriers up to modern standards has caused these things to bounce more cars into traffic where i would have to look at you know how the barriers used to be designed. Uh, if it was more about like just burying a car in a tire barrier versus sending it skittering, mm-hmm. um, that could th- that could be a case where improvements in like safety layout uh, on paper have made for a worse layout uh, under race conditions. But honestly, I have no idea. Uh, it ju- it just feels to me like this corner has become concerning in a way that it has not been in like 20 years of me watching the sport I,
0: I think you do i i know of uh moves there that um i think Ocon made a, an amazing or perez maybe made some incredible moves there and those are those are thrilling I, I think you can have really amazing overtakes there um but i i don't have and maybe this is just The fact that you know i may well i was gonna say i'm a relatively new formula one fan but like by this point i've been watching since 2014
1: time marches on man you're not a newbie anymore
0: yeah um and so i don't have any particular like it's cool but like uh, people talk about oh it's this historic um you know uh hallowed ground (laughs) i don't i think uh, I, I I have to come down on the side of safety here and say like, yeah, if you have to tweak it so that this stuff doesn't happen, go for it. I think a lot of problems come into or um, arise when you try to change the uh, circuit because of the, the area's topography. Um, I think we mentioned last week, some revisions are planned for... The 2022 season, as uh, the circuit bids to host some motorcycle racing, which includes the runoff for the left side being enlarged. Don't really know what that means yet. Um, and a gravel trap added to the right side, um, both of which would help slow the cars down on their way into the barriers, because there really is not a lot of way to skid um, to the left of a Rouge.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and that that would theoretically decrease the chance of the cars coming back onto the track. But actually, as, as Autosport points out, Arooge did have gravel on the yeah, left side the in the nineties.
1: F1 got away from using gravel across the board. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, uh, I mean, how
0: effective that was, I don't know. Um, but like, I, I am all for just making it, making it safe. If you yeah, have, you have to, I don't know, slow it down or like adding a chicane, I think was an idea. I, I just don't have the, the. The reverence, I think, for stuff like this. Like, it doesn't, I, I'm not willing to, um, to, to risk it. I yeah. You, I mean, you may be different out there, like, listener.
1: I, yeah. I mean, I, like, I, my, my view on it is this was a solved problem and now it's not solved. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think this is, this, like, this is one of those things where, um, you can always make an argument for making further changes for safety's sake. Um, but there are times where you're just going to run up against, like, the possibility of really astonishing, unexpected accidents that are just not, like, that the circuit is not designed for this. I think I think Eruj and, and Renny are different. Like, what's happening is foreseeable. Um, the nature of the corners are – this isn't like, uh, for instance – uh, where Gasly uh, went through the barrier last year, where it's like I don't know how you design for that. Like that's just a car's not supposed to straight line into a guardrail like that. Um, that seems like a one million. Uh, sorry, Grosjean. Yeah, um, it, it, it just feels like such a uh, you know shocking thing. But th- but this one, is, like you can see, you'd see in in Norris's accident, uh, it's like yep, this is just how a car out of control uh, through the section begins to behave. So yeah, um it, it does seem like somehow uh this corner has become uh much more dangerous. I boy, I'm the fact that they there used to be gravel and now there's not is interesting because F1 like I think F1 got away from gravel, one, because it led to a lot of retirements and drivers were frustrated because like once mm-hmm. you went in the gravel, like you just get beached. Um and two, there was an argument that like There are some collisions that gravel because it didn't let the car, the driver regain control of the car um, could fail to prevent uh, like shunts into the wall that maybe if there'd been more of a runoff where you could have um, like uh, like drivable surface, there could have been um, some driver intervention. But yeah, this is a case where it feels like what you need in this situation is some sort of way to arrest the car. Um, so it doesn't just, what con- about
0: nets like on aircraft carriers?
1: Dude, I, I have thought about arrest like arresting wires so arresting many times wires. over the course yeah. of this. Yeah. Where it's like, cause that's what it feels like it really needs. Right. Is some way where a car is out of control and is just like brought safely and quickly, uh, down to a stop, um, out of the racing line as quickly as possible. And right now the corners not doing that. Um, so yeah, it was it was scary. Uh you could hear how like you saw Vettel's uh really strong reaction, which was, you know, we shouldn't have been running, and now this had happened. Uh and you saw Seb pull up immediately to check on uh Lando. Uh but yeah, it was like there were a number of drivers who were uncomfortable with those conditions. Uh apparently Russell had also made a comment over the radio uh in his in his first in his first outing there. Uh, the track felt very dicey. Um, and yeah,
0: Vettel said, what did I say? Red flag. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but it, don't take it from us. Race fan has collected uh, some driver quotes. Uh, is from Esteban Ocon. We've seen too many crashes. We've seen obviously Antoine in 2019, but we've seen Jack this year. We've seen W Series. I mean, it just keeps going. So we need to do something to make that corner safer. Uh, Perez says, we're very concerned about the corner. Basically, when you hit it, how it sends you back to the track and it's a blind spot. So I really hope to see some solutions for next year. Uh, Alonzo talking about the proposed changes quote. That's very welcome from a driver's point of view. And we all like these efforts, but it's going to be always a motorsport challenge, zero risk. Uh, we will never reach probably, but we are going in the good direction. That's for sure. So I'm happy. Uh, session was red flagged after Norris's accident. Uh, and we restart with a little over eight minutes to go. Uh, but it isn't until 40 seconds left that the real action happens. Uh, so as we mentioned, it was a little back and forth on what tires everyone was using. Russell went out on Q3 uh, in Q3 on wet tires while everybody else, I think, was on intermediates um, in this restarted session. So his true pace is wasn't really known until the final runs when he suddenly starts setting purple sectors. Uh the camera doesn't even change to him until his lap is nearly done like it doesn't even believe Yes, Rob. So he gone to the inters.
1: Um this was yeah. this was yeah, you said, sorry, you said wets.
0: Oh uh, yeah, he sorry, he started on the wets uh and that was the wrong tire and so he had to come in, change to intermediates and by that time everybody else had done uh faster laps so he was way behind.
1: Yeah, um It was – so we've seen Williams uh, pull this off occasionally just going counter-timing from everyone. There's even more space to do that on uh, SPA. But the big thing apparently was that – so a lot of times you have your your out-lap and your fast-lap. Apparently the thing that made the difference here is that Williams had him run two fast-laps. And one of them he didn't deploy like any battery basically. And he used that, so hes he's out there he's on a timed lap, and apparently the thing that he's doing out there is he's bringing everything up to temperature because remember why this race ultimately sorry, spoilers remember why this race ultimately doesn't happen because none of the drivers can get the cars to a place where they can operate safely uh, that In addition to the garbage visibility which made it dangerous uh, as hell to begin with, brakes were cold, tires were cold, the cars could not get in their operating window. Uh, it wasn't quite that bad on Saturday, but everyone was struggling with the fact that their brakes were not in the optimal uh, band, uh, their tires were not in the optimal band, and so they were having these really um, like unimpressive uh, fast laps. Russell, by, effect, by basically running two fast laps, one to just get the car into prime condition, when he ran, went around for that last fast lap, he had every he had like full charge, and he had everything basically uh, in the optimal band. And on top of that, there's been more running, so the track is also starting to come even more toward the inters. Um, and dude, it was astonishing. Like when he set that purple uh, first sector, it wasn't like it was like, "Oh, you know, good on George." And then you see, he had a purple first sector, and it was like 1.7 seconds. Um, like I think it was over
0: the first two two yeah. Sec- sectors. Yeah, the first sector was up a half second alone, and then yeah, it was one point second by the one point uh, seven by the second sector.
1: Yeah, and then and then Verstappen started coming along and started started like you know eating into that. But like Russell was on this flyer, and it was clear that he was going to bury the Mercedes. Um, like uh, you know, all, if he could stick the third sector, uh, he was going to have one of the best uh, you know laps of the day. And Verstappen was regaining that ground behind him. But meanwhile, like the Mercedes had no answer for it. They'd had no answer for anything all day. Uh, they had burned through basically every treaded tire they had in their garage uh, trying to find something that would work in these conditions. And so, yeah, when Russell crossed, uh, you know, at the top of the timesheet, it looked like it might hold. Like it was real dicey. He, he had a He had a commanding lead. Uh, you could see that Verstappen was was able to compete with it. Uh, but, you know, for, for a few seconds there, it looked like Russell had completely, um, you know, sort of nipped the race out from uh, everyone.
0: Yeah, he when he finishes that lap, he finishes um, a second and a half faster than what Hamilton had done on his previous hot lap. Um, but the real kicker comes when Hamilton finishes the next lap, um, and is slower than russell and then perez comes in slower botas comes in slower vettel comes in slower so realistically the only one who could knock russell off the top is verstappen which he does by uh 0.3 seconds so three tenths not as heartbreaking as if it were you know a thousandth or something but um george russell will start the belgian grand prix from second position for whatever that's worth. <laughs> and
1: so, And this was the thing. Like, Immediately, it was poised for... I'm crushed we didn't see the race uh, that we could have seen. In part because I was just so curious what the dynamics were going to be with a Mercedes behind him. And then racing Max to the Lasaurus hairpin uh at the start of this race and racing each other uh up to radio. I like I had no idea what to expect because the other thing is the thing I suspected would happen because we've seen it multiple times this season is um that Williams under Russell's command has incredible qualifying pace. But over the course of a race distance, you see the difference between him and Latifi just converge and converge and converge, uh, because, you know, there's a limit to what they can do to drive, uh, above and beyond the car. Latifi, by the way, also had a good quality. Uh, Latifi had a, had a pretty decent performance, uh, as, as well on, on Saturday. But yeah, my suspicion was, uh, reality was going to come crashing hard on Russell on race day just because that Williams has too many flaws uh, to survive near the front uh, at a Belgian GP. I thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Although, had it been wet and not too wet, that's a great point too. Who knows? Who, yeah, like a lot the of those rain is the great equalizer. Yeah, because well, if you've got no grip, you don't get to use all your horsepower, right? You so all those, uh, you know, um, less than good cars can can beat up there with the big boys
1: yeah we should we should also emphasize by the way uh the williams had looked like crap uh throughout practice right like russell and williams had no pace uh in the practice session so this was a double doubly astonishing thing because it was like so which of these was the real williams which of these is the real pace uh in in the wet um a a great unresolved mystery of spa 2021
0: uh, bef- before we get underway in quotes um botas and stroll were both penalized five places for their crash uh in hungary um norris was penalized five places for a gearbox change as a result of his, his crash in qualifying um and raikkonen also was penalized for fitting a rear wing of a different spec uh while under park ferme conditions I don't know if they did that on purpose or what, but the the grid starting the race looks like this. Max Verstappen on pole, followed by George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Daniel Ricciardo putting it in fourth place um, in qualifying day, which is pretty cool. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in fifth, Pierre Gasly, Sergio Perez, Esteban Ocon, Charles Leclerc, and Nicholas Latifi in tenth uh, after... Uh, a couple of those... Uh, Valtteri Bottas um, was penalized. Um, and Lando Norris. Uh, Carlos Steins in 11th. Fernando Alonso in 12th. Valtteri Bottas in 13th. Antonio Giovinazzi in 14th. Lando Norris in 15th. and we've got Tsunoda, Schumacher, Mazepin, Stroll, and Raikkonen. Uh, the weird stuff keeps on coming as Perez crashes on his way to the grid. We saw this before, actually, with his teammate... I forget what race that was, but it's just one of these painful, just slowly creeping toward the wall as you're (laughs) mashing on the brakes. But it's so wet that nothing slows you down. And he just he just crunches into the wall and uh, he is out for the time being. His car gets loaded onto a truck and brought back to the garage. Uh, Meanwhile, everybody else lines up on the grid. Um, And the, the rain slowly starts getting worse the Start is delayed and keeps getting pushed back by like five minutes. Five minutes. Um, it became until a it is. meme
1: on F1 Twitter. Uh, <laughs> that the FIA kept being like expect an announcement about the weather in five minutes. Uh, the announcement is that the weather continues to be bad. Uh, the next announcement will be in 10 minutes. Uh, so yeah, the FIA just kept punting, uh, while yeah, the conditions continued to, to go sideways.
0: It, it was properly delayed uh, for initially a short time, which gave Hamilton enough time to jump up and go to the bathroom, uh, which Corinne Chandock uh, had the perfect sightline to and was narrating his entire adventure. Such a weird.
1: Yeah, Chan- Corinne Chandock uh, narrating Lewis having the experience that I think we've all had, which is racing to a portage and discovering it's full of people.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. Um I think there was a line and thankfully he was uh, allowed to go to the front of the line, but he still had to wait for whoever was in there which uh Chandock said was a member of the French TV crew. Um he did not have to wait long though, uh, but when he got back in his car and I didn't hear this until I watched the team radio video on F1's YouTube channel, but um well I'll just I'll just quote Sir Lewis Hamilton here. <clears throat> on one side, I'm glad I went to the toilet. The one I went to, someone had dropped a crazy bomb in there. <laughs> it was the worst thing ever. It's going to haunt me for life.
1: <laughs> I, I had seen that caption. I wasn't sure that was real. I was like, it was late at night. I couldn't like pull up the video because uh, uh, my partner was asleep. But like... So that was that was real. Lewis actually had oh, yeah. a, uh, a a a horrifying Portageon
0: experience. Great. <laughs> yep. Uh, then we get an official start time, during which the cars will follow the safety car uh, for formation laps until the race director deems it safe to start. So um, the cars do one formation lap behind the safety car. Hamilton and Norris say the conditions are bad. Giovinazzi says it's undrivable. Uh, Russell says he can't even see Verstappen's rain light in front of him which is scary Um, and on the second formation lap we get a red flag so everybody comes back into the pits and technically the race has not started because they were formation laps not not real laps and somebody even asked, I didn't catch this but I I heard the commentators talking about it, someone asked Massey on the radio, has the race started? Which Brundle said he has never heard in his life uh that should give you some indication of to uh, to the um the con- amount of confusion that was happening uh at at the track on TV commentators didn't know what was happening um and then we get a full on delay where the commentators have to fill for about 3 hours uh but eventually everybody including Sergio Perez whose car is now fixed lines up in the pit lane and uh Burt Mylander In the safety car, leads them around for another lap. Um, Interestingly, a timer shows up on the screen, not a lap counter. This is because, as I understand it, while F1 races are time-limited to two hours, there's a three-hour time limit for the race to occur in that starts uh, at the originally scheduled race time. And to hear it from F1's Will Buxton race direction was ready to start the race if a good opportunity opened up during those first two hours. But since there wasn't one and two hours went by, they invoked an FIA rule that said that they could pause that three hour rule for a while and then wait for the weather to clear up. So when we unpaused an hour later, as the rain let up a little bit, we still had one hour left on that three hour clock. If that makes any sense. Uh, But the weather changes again immediately pouring down even more rain and just for a rules check here um that I'll admit I did not know until <laughs> this happened uh if you do not race you must race 75% of the race distance to get the full championship points um anything below that you get half points as long as you race at least 2 laps so you race 2 laps you get half points if you race 75% of the race distance you get full points. So we don't have enough time in that one hour to get to 75% of the race distance. So we're looking at half points here if we can get two laps done, but there's confusion about whether we actually satisfied that at the end of this race. So stay with me here. The cars exit the pit lane, behind the safety car and the green light at the end of the pit lane means the race has started So the cars then go over the start finish line twice behind the safety car, effectively completing laps one and two, at which point the race is red flagged for the last time and the cars come into the pits. All right. So we've done two laps. Here's where the confusion comes in. If a race is called off, according to the rules, the position of the cars on the lap before the red flag comes out is the official finishing position. So in our case, that would be lap one, because when the red flag came out, only two laps had been completed. So the penultimate one was lap one. But you may ask, since lap one is the only one that counts, did we get the two laps needed to officially call it a race? The answer to that is yes, because there are two different rules at play. The rule of whether the the race lasted two laps is satisfied because we had two laps. We actually had three because the timing line extends into the pit lane. So when Verstappen crossed it, he had actually completed lap three. Now that we've satisfied that rule, we determine the finishing order, and that has to do with where the cars were on the lap before the red flag came out, which is lap one. That said, many in F1, including Massey, uh, have said that they want to look at these rules and see about changing them. Um, But before we get to all of that... uh, No matter what, there is no passing while you're behind the safety car. Anyway, so Verstappen wins, and George Russell is on the podium in a Williams, baby. Red Bull actually has to ask Massey again on the radio, are we having a podium? And Massey's like, yeah, of course. (laughs) So we do that. We get champagne and everything. George Russell holding the number two trophy up there, uh, and I couldn't be happier.
1: Honestly, imagine how differently we might feel about this weekend if, like, Russell hadn't been there as a feel good, like, falling backwards into some overdue good fortune. Like, hmm. if if you take Russell out of it, for instance, like, say, 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 uh, Valtteri wasn't laboring under, uh, you know, a penalty like that. Um, and it's and qualified it up in up in uh like third or something like that uh with with Hamilton and like you know Mercedes comes out of this with a huge you know chunk of points uh at the end of this like i don't know it's the it was really sweet one like it's it's really sweet having this happen because it has felt like good things are happening at williams And they're just a few lucky bounces away from being able to uh, claw their way back to the midfield. Um, Here we get sort of a preview of that where like, hey, like good form on Saturday was for once rewarded. Um, The fact that Russell's had this incredible run of consistency in F1 that has never amounted to, it didn't amount to points ever until, uh, you know, literally a race ago, uh, basically. And then he comes out of this with a podium uh, and has completely like changed the complexion of the cha- the Constructors' Championship down at that end of the grid. All that feels very nice. If you take it out, I think I might be a little bit closer to the people who are like, this is disgraceful. I would be closer. <laughs> but instead, instead, I'm sitting there on Sunday being like, well, this was unfortunate. But also, it's kind of good. and also I appreciate Russell and Williams not even not even really making a pretense of feeling ambivalent about the way this all came out like everyone else is like "Oh, I guess we gotta go through this guess you know here we are and meanwhile you got Russell like pointing out the homies uh, you know down
0: (laughs) down in the pit lane couldn't even get through his interview question before Russell was like doesn't matter doesn't matter, I'm second place. <laughs> yep. Yep. When they bring out the constructors t-
1: to first place trophy and the Williams people start to like cheer and he's like, No boys, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> not it. The yet. real one's coming. Uh it it just cracked me up that like everyone had to go through the show of like, this is not how we want the sport to be. And meanwhile, like Williams, Russell. <laughs> Just they are they are securing the bag and they are getting the hell out of spa.
0: Yeah. Um, I yeah I think my my uh, yeah I I don't really know how to feel uh, about this if I'm honest. I, I think we had a qualifying session, um, and then you I think you have to go through you have to try right. Well, okay. As per the rules, we should
1: go through some of the things that were in play here.
0: Okay, actually, before we do that, let me just run down the the finish order here. Max Verstappen wins, gets twelve and a half points. George Russell second place, he gets nine. Lewis Hamilton in third, seven and a half. Daniel Ricciardo in uh, fourth gets six. Sebastian Vettel in fifth gets five. Pierre Gasly in sixth gets four. Esteban Ocon in seventh gets three. Charles Leclerc in eighth gets two. Nicholas Latifi in ninth gets another point and carlos Sainz in 10th gets 0.5 points behind him we have fernando alonso valtteri botas antonio Giovanazzi, lando norris yuki Tsunoda, mick schumacher nikita mazapin Kimi raikkonen sergio perez uh, and then uh, behind him lance stroll having gotten a 10 second time penalty as his car was modified during a temporary race stoppage same uh rear wing thing as raikkonen it was the wrong different spec and i think this may have also come into play because the red flag for the initial red flag for the which was called during the formation lap because it was a formation lap was not actually a race stoppage and there are different rules for red flags under race conditions and red flags under non-race conditions so they modified their car i think under non-race condition red flag and got penalized for it um also apparently Nikita Mazepin got the fastest lap behind the safety car uh but he didn't get a point because he finished outside the top 10 which begs the question would someone in the top 10 have gotten a point for that or a half of one I don't know uh Rob can you put some kind of give us some understanding of uh of the thinking of the powers that be behind this,
1: yeah. So the first thing is, according to, so the the opinion pretty much up and down the grid, with the possible exception of Williams, is that this kind of sucks, and it sucks particularly for fans. Uh, like people like came to see a race, no race happened, and here's oh, F one. The people
0: there, absolutely.
1: And F one is here. You're saying like, au contraire there was a race, and here a point, points and classified. <laughs> so, first, Domenicali has said they didn't know the rain was going to be that bad. It seems like a small thing, but, like, genuinely, they have a pretty decent, like, uh, meteorological setup at these, at these race events. They really didn't see this kind of, like, soaking, consistent rain coming uh, when the day started. The thing they could have done, uh, apparently, is that if the stewards had decided uh, to move up the race uh, the race timing, they could have done it. Uh, however, there were two other support races uh, happening earlier in the day. Um, so you would have started eating into their window uh, if, if you were going to try and modify the timing of the F1 race. Uh, so for whatever reason they they didn't they they either didn't contemplate it or they didn't decide it was uh, worth the trouble. But the thing that they could have done under the rules, I guess, is say, okay, we got bad weather moving in. We are advancing the start time uh, to try and dodge it. Instead, they trusted their forecasters that the rain would be manageable and that there would be a window to run a race in the middle of it, and that was wrong. Um, Massey has said, and, and this is this is the part that bugs me. You know, when you were saying, like, I don't don't know how to feel, I think within the rules as written, there's a lot of, like, these were justifiable decisions, but the rules might suck in this case. Because the thing that was never in the cards is the thing that seems like the easiest fix for this, which is a rain date, uh, which most sports manage to navigate somehow. Uh, so that you can have an event in in you know despite the fact that the planned time might rain according to Massey there's no ability to postpone the race until tomorrow uh, like it's not in the rules that's something that they can do uh, so they're just they, they have to abide by the international sporting code uh, and the the rules governing uh, you know when and how a race occurs and so the thing they couldn't do was the thing that you'd see do happen in a lot of other sports, which is just the weather's too bad. We're going to punt this by a day. However, that also lets off the hook that F1 relies, like all motorsports, basically do, on volunteer marshals. Uh, marshals, and if this, if a race slips to a Monday, of course, uh, a lot of those volunteers are going to have their day jobs uh, starting up again on Monday, so they can't easily stay. And oversee a race, um, which I think might be maybe the real reason these things are not really feasible. Uh, because I understand, like, there's the whole logistical—you know—the fact that it's a triple header. F1's got to be at another racetrack uh, in a week. However, that racetrack is basically up the road. Like that excuse doesn't necessarily wash. It's not like, man, we get—we can't. I'd love to delay the race, but we got to fly this car to Malaysia uh, tomorrow. That's not what's happening. Basically, they're like. You know, if we if we delay by a day, uh, there's no human way to get a race team from Spa to <laughs> Zandvoort uh, in four days' time. It just couldn't be done. Uh, so this is the part that, like, all the decisions within these constraints make sense. I think the constraints let them off the hook because, like, they don't they don't have the margin for error for if it's too rainy to race uh, during their appointed window. That's the part that kind of shocks me. Um, the other thing is that, you know, you heard, uh, Lewis allude to this in his post race interview, post processional interview, uh, where he says, you know, <laughs> money event. talks and you, you heard some other people, uh, sort of hint that it was probably a, a way for formula one to collect his money from the event. Domenicali like denies that's true. Um, if they had decided to not run at all, and there were no, there was no race classification happening, uh, according to Menicoli. Spa still has to pay F one for those uh those license those those rights fees. Um, Spa still is on the hook to F one for the event. So uh, that wasn't a motivation for this kind of unsatisfying resolution. Um, it just ultimately they were constrained by the dictates of safety and what the rules allow. But yeah, I am just. I come out of this being like, how can you not? It just seems so risky to me that you're wedded to this three hour window, which has already gotten narrower because they're concerned about like TV primetime starting times uh, for their international audience. Um, and then you have no real fallback if conditions are too bad to race during that three hour window. That's the part that bugs me, because then it's like no it wasn't it wasn't just bad weather, it was bad planning,
0: yeah, um, well, hopefully things are better in Zandvort that's coming up next weekend. Um, there's some calendar changes coming up uh though the next three are locked, Zandvort, Monza, and Sochi, <clears throat> but Turkey has moved one league later to October tenth um The Austin, the U.S. Grand Prix is staying put for now, although, Rob, you just pointed out that uh, the EU has imposed travel restrictions on uh, the United States, where Austin, Texas is. So that may pose a problem. Uh, Mexico and Brazil also were moving one week later to November 7th and 14th, respectively. And the November 21 slot vacated by Japan is yet to be filled, although Andrew Benson with the BBC says that Qatar is all but confirmed. Uh, The rest of the season stays the same with Saudi Arabia on December 5th and Abu Dhabi closing things out on uh, December 12th. Um, In other confirmations, Red Bull has signed Sergio Perez for 2022. Um. Cool. I hope Albon gets a seat somewhere. <laughs> I mean, he's crushing I want, it. I want in, Alex. Uh, sports back. cars. Yeah. Um. We also got a reconfirmation that Fernando Alonso will be racing for Alpine in 2022. He signed a two-year deal a year ago. So I don't know what's up with this, Rob. You found something.
1: No, I mean, I didn't find much about that. Uh, it did okay. seem like, I, I think it might, might have been an option type situation if it wasn't working hmm. out. But yeah, they they've confirmed that Alonzo will be their driver for 22. Uh, but no, I mean, it just, it's just that, um, you know, last week uh, we talked about the fact that there's something weird about alpine's engine program uh the fact that they let their engine director uh go and didn't appear to replace him uh dita rankin over at RaceFans also noticed that alpine are not answering any questions about like who is replacing him or even like you know they've said his responsibilities have been divided they're not even discussing like organizationally how their engine program is working and how those responsibilities are reporting into the greater team uh, so, you know, it's, it's good news for Alpine in terms of, um, you know, they've had, a, they've had a decent summer and, uh, you know, it's a good looking lineup, uh, for 22, but it just feels like there's something feels like it has felt ever since Cyril was sort of just, uh, thrown overboard, like out of the blue, it's felt like something's up with that program. Um, and then the fact that on the eve of a new engine debut, uh, you've got this uncertainty. It just, something feels off about this.
0: Well, one thing is for certain as we head into the next race at Zandvoort, Lewis Hamilton is still on top of the Drivers' Championship. He has 202.5 points. Yep, they're going to make me do this every week from now on. Max Verstappen in second with 199.5 points. Lando Norris is in third with uh, 113 Valtteri Bottas has 108. Sergio Perez has 104 in 5th place. Carlos Sainz in 6th with uh, 83.5. Charles Leclerc has 82. Daniel Ricciardo has 56. Pierre Gasly with 54. And Esteban Ocon in 10th with 42. Fernando Alonso has 38. Sebastian Vettel with 35. Yuki Tsunoda and Lance Stroll both have 18 points in 13th place. George Russell in 15th has 13 points. Uh, Nicholas Latifi in 16th has seven points. Kimi Raikkonen has two. Antonio Giovinazzi has one. And Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin have zero. Uh, in constructor standings, we have Mercedes on top with 310.5. Red Bull is in second place with 303 Point five, McLaren has 169. Ferrari has 165.5. Alpine is in 5th place with 80 points. Alpha AlphaTauri has 72. Aston Martin has 53. Williams has 20 points. Alfa Romeo has 3. And Ginas and team have 0. But things will change, Rob. At Zandvoort. So we're finally doing this. Uh, yeah. So...
1: Zandvoort, uh, old circuit, new returnee to uh, F1 uh, Zandvoort is a really interesting location It was uh, sort of a planned circuit uh, to be built in 1939 But was delayed, obviously, until after the war uh, And had roughly the same layout from 46 through uh, Almost made it to 1990 and it was this really dramatic and, uh, gorgeous location in the dunes along the North Sea on the western coast of North Holland. So basically, you got on the eastern coast there, you got Amsterdam. Uh, on the, on the western coast, you have Zandvoort. Um, if you look at footage of the old Zandvoort, uh, racetrack, or if you watch, uh, recreations of the circuit, um, in various sims, like there's a video of Max Verstappen uh, driving it in a uh, in, in a version of the old track that was done for a set of Corsa. Really cool circuit, um, really dramatic looking. It used the natural slopes of the dunes to create a series of uh, banked corners and along this kind of really fast, almost undulating racetrack as it as it went over the dunes. Uh, the flip side of that was the the There basically were no runoffs. Even by old F1 standards, this is a dicey-looking circuit. Um, And the encroaching slopes of the dunes uh, meant that any sort of going wide or or running off had a good chance at uh, sort of launching a car or flipping it um and there are some pretty horrific incidents that as with any circuit in this era uh Zanvert was was host to uh you know truly ghastly uh incident involving Roger Williamson uh whose car did get flipped uh and caught fire and in the completely substandard uh safety uh you know like emergency response uh programs that f one had back then you had a bunch of marshals who had no protective gear and you had one fire extinguisher, uh, they couldn't extract him from the car and they just continued to race around him, um, in 67, uh, while this went down. Um, so like Zandvoort, uh, you know, classic old circuit, but also had the issues of a classic circuit, but it wasn't safety apparently that got the circuit, uh, you know, got, got its card pulled. Basically. It was the fact that, and this is unusual, Apparently, the Zandvoort circuit is owned by the town of Zandvoort. Um, and I still like the Packers a bit, yeah. Like it's, (laughs) um, but a little bit more even directly like accountable, I guess, to the city council. Like the Packers are sort of have a distributed ownership, but the town, the community owns them, but like the city of Green Bay does not. This Ah. is like if your local city ran a racetrack. Um, (laughs) Now, there are corporations that operate the racetrack, but ultimately, like, the the paper on the track is held by the town. Anyway, thing is, eventually people were like, I would rather not have a racing circuit running through my backyard. And that hit critical mass, and they decided they needed to uh, modernize and condense the layout and get it away from, uh, like, surface roads. So... They did, they did this sort of a similar story to Spa. Uh, they, t- they took the old layout and had it turn back on itself, turned back through its infield uh, about a third of the way through the old lap. Uh, it cuts out the uh, Hondenblock uh, chicane that sort of led out to the uh, old ring of the circuit. And instead, it cuts back really dramatically on itself and rejoins the old start-finish straight at the Ari Leindyke corner. Uh, they've been racing with that configuration for quite some time, but even that is an outdated configuration because, because in March 2019, uh, the circuit cut a three-race deal uh, with F1 start to start in 2020. And part of that deal was a series of circuit upgrades to both improve safety and maybe also improve some of the, the show. Uh, and this, th- these these modifications were overseen by Yarno uh, Zafeli at uh, Dromo, which is a company that has done a lot of update, modernization, and redesign uh, programs in different circuits. So the big change, uh, and the, probably the most notable thing about the new Zandvoort that sets it apart from a lot of other F1 tracks right now, is that there is a lot of banking here uh, in sort of a both a nod to the way the circuit has felt in the past, but also an attempt to speed up some of these corners. Uh, There are two corners that have some pretty steep banking. Uh, The first is really unusual. Uh, At turn three, there's a pretty sharp, uh, tight left turn um, that they've added some really steep banking to. And Usually you think of banked turns as like, you know, like oval racing, it's really fast. This is like a really banked slow corner. Um, and I'm really curious how that's going to work in practice. Uh, it certainly looks like drivers might sort of be ignoring the banking and just going deep into the corner and then squaring it off with a, with a hard left. Uh, but the, the idea is that there would be some... Uh, some space for some side by side racing uh through this really technical uh banked left. The other place where the banking gets really dramatic is on that line dyke corner uh which is a sweeping turn that feeds you back out onto the straight. Apparently it's like steeper than the banking you find at Indy. Uh you you can watch a video of again Max Verstappen uh you know they've if there's a way to promote this race uh, that doesn't involve uh, Max somehow, I've yet to find any evidence of it. Um, <laughs> poor, poor Max has had to like do every single bit of promotion uh, for this thing. He is, he is Mr. Dutch racing. And so uh, he ran a lap there. Um, and from the in car, it is pretty cool, fast banking there. Um, and it's also cool because from the bank, you have a really dramatic like leveling of the track uh so that it almost feels like a weird video game corkscrew track in in some it's ways it's a little it's, track
0: mania if i'm yeah.
1: honest yeah here's the thing though um it's and it, it's it's interesting uh for one it hasn't made an amazing impression on me when i've when i've raced it in like the F1 games um it's, it's fine but it, it does feel a little it still feels a little snug it feels a little tight I think the issue is when I'm watching laps around it, it feels like it's a narrow circuit in terms of viable racing line. Uh, This is the thing that concerns me is like, there's just, it's not that there's not space to put cars side by side, Though there's not that much space on this track, but it more just feels there's not a lot of places to run cars alongside each other uh, and have them contesting turn after turn. Um, and I'm really curious both how it's going to work in practice. And then also how we see officials calling this race, uh, because there should really seem like places where the intent was to leave room for side-by-side racing. I'm just not sure the drivers can or will, uh, leave that space. Uh, that being said, like there's some really exciting stuff. Uh, you know, you get through that banked turn three, um, you know, you're launched out into a really fast series of of gentle turns. Uh, turn six is basically doesn't even need to be there. You don't even notice it. It is a slight correction as you get into some of the signature turns of the track. Um, it there's two DRS zones, uh, both come after some relatively fast turns. Uh, heading into turn ten. Uh, you hit a DRS detection point that launches you into a uh, not quite a straight; it's a long, flat, sweeping, uh, sweeping curve uh, along the, the backside of the track. And then at the line dike corner on uh, your entry into that banking, you hit another DRS detection point uh, for the DRS zone along the start finish straight. Um, so, like, I am curious. I'm, 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 I'm. A little bit apprehensive for how good the yeah you know, the wheel to wheel racing is going to be, but um it, they've certainly done some things that are novel uh in sort of an F one update program um and fingers crossed it works cross it works
0: yeah well uh, fingers crossed for some interesting weather um although I don't know I, maybe. I'm, I'm going both ways on this. I would kind of like to see what it's like just in the dry to really have a, a good sense of it. But, like, I also just really love rain. So maybe uh, we'll get looks like not a lot of precipitation on qualifying day, but 32 percent chance on race day. Uh, temperatures are looking in the Fahrenheit at 68 for qualifying day or 20 Celsius and climbing a little bit to 22 Celsius or 72 Fahrenheit on race day. Um, Heavenly. wind, wind, not so bad about, uh, eight or nine miles an hour or, uh, 14 to 16 kilometers an hour. So interesting. Is it right on the coast?
1: Yeah, dude. Like literally if you walk over, uh, like, like over the banking, you're in the North sea. Like it is, (laughs) it is tight.
0: Okay. Um, well, we are recording this um, a little earlier than usual, so I don't have uh, the fantasy standings updated yet. Because according to this website, the Belgian Grand Prix has not officially finished. Um, but you can join it using the link in the show notes, our official fantasy league. Uh, you could also email us at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or submit it through the internet at web uh, the website website f1.cool slash emails you can also hit us up on twitter at shift f1 podcast i'm at drew scanlon that is at rob zachney and at danny odwyer is danny odwyer's twitter account that's us around the internet and now let's take it around the world of racing dtm is at the red bull ring uh formula three is also joining Formula One at Zenvoort, as is W Series, just like we had in Belgium. The World Superbike Championship is at Magny-Cours in France. Um, the MXGP, the Motocross Grand Prix, is in Turkey for the MXGP of Turkey. And the FIA World Rallycross Championship is in France for the World Rallycross of France. Uh, we have the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Darlington, South Carolina for the Sport Clips Haircuts VFW Help a Hero 200.
1: It's a lot of sponsorship happening in one place.
0: VFW Radio. Uh, the Camp and World Trucks are also at Darlington for the In It to Win It 200. Not sure if that's an actual sponsor or if they just couldn't find one and just said a sports platitude.
1: That's got to be. there's always somebody. There's always somebody (laughs) selling something.
0: We also got NASCAR, the Cup cars, at Darlington for the Cookout Southern 500.
1: Finally, somebody is raising awareness of cooking out in the the American South.
0: Um, Southern Fried 500 has a better ring to it to me.
1: Yeah, I think that might be too regionally divisive,
0: though. (laughs) Uh, You can catch Formula One, maybe you've heard of it, in the U.S. on ESPN2. um, That's practice one, at least, at 6.30 a.m. on Friday, September 3rd. Same day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPNU is Free Practice 2. Uh, free Practice 3 is at 6 a.m. on Saturday, September 4th on ESPN2, followed by Qualifying in the Netherlands at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPNU. And the race, everyone, Sunday, September 5th uh, on uh, at, I'm sorry, 9 a.m., on ESPN2, the deuce! Rob, that was a weird one. Um, but it it scratched my F1 itch. Uh, however, I would still love to see an actual race. How are you feeling?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the weird thing. Like, as frustrated as I am with, like, you should have better plans for stuff like this because it's foreseeable. I also didn't come out of this feeling like... I understand people being like, the fans deserve a better show, and they do. Uh, but at the same time, like I think most of these people also know the score. Sometimes it rains a lot during an F one, like during the time there's supposed to be an F one race. Um, I'm I'm just like it was. It's unfortunate, but this is one of those things where like shit happens, and there's times you can't safely put race cars out on a track, and that's just how it is. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm you know I I think I'm glad we had a really fun qualifying, uh, and I don't think I'm going to forget that long rainy afternoon of watching those dudes try to fill airtime uh and the Sky TV crew <laughs> cutting the guys who were uh doing um like lawn bowling uh <laughs> bocce ball yeah no but it, like uh Anthony Davidson got really persnickety about like it's it's like bowl or something like that but it's a different it's a different sport but they were they're they're playing it in in one of the uh gravel traps and You know, it was charming. I was like, you know what? Let's just watch these guys uh, just hang for a few hours.
0: Yeah, I I did see uh, Nick Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel kicking the football around. Yeah. Which was very heartwarming to see uh hopefully we, we get some other heartwarming scenes next weekend if you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and our official discord you can do so over at patreon.com slash one have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week